Good morning. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Morning. <laughs> so, thank you for coming to a Dharma talk at the. Uh, even though this today is so nice outside. Before I start, I want to mention just uh, because, you know, in the news we can hear about everybody's problems all over the world. But maybe uh, just to mention the people in Nepal who 7-8 is a gigantic earthquake. So I uh, hope they get what they need and rescue as many as they can. I'm sure that we all feel empathetic. We don't have to learn to be empathetic. And the other thing, kind of a happy note, except for the six police people who have been charged uh, with charged that uh, finally in the United States something has been done to African-American male and having they will have consequences at least that's what I hope and maybe this is a real turning a real turning not just a moment but a real turning for us all, for everybody. So today I want to talk about accepting our humanness. It's a, uh, something that we need to do in a very profound way if we are going to have any kind of real freedom at all. At the end of the last um, time I was here, (laughs) uh, I disappointed some people, few people, some people more than others. (laughs) And it affected me um, because whenever anything happens that that affects me in some way, I always stop and try to understand my side of whatever happens, and there's always a nugget, there's always a kernel of truth. When, when people give you feedback, there's always something there that they're hanging their, their uh, feedback on that they mean, in, that they mean uh, as a gift, you know, not as a threat or anything. And even if it's a complete projection, there's always something there. So I wanted to open myself to that possibility and did. And I, as always, you know, if you open yourself to something that's difficult, it it is the place that we learn the most. So I spent a good deal of my time away feeling through that event. And uh, it's a good thing. At 
the end of the uh, willingness, at the end of the willingness to be that disappointment, is that the right way to say it? The end of the willingness to be the disappointee. <laughs> it took me to a very deep place in my own core uh, story, my own core stories. My bottom pain, the, the, the identities that I, that I, uh, that come up, you know, if I, if I, what is it? They're my fallback, my default uh, stories <laughs> that many of us share, right? So one of them is, um, if I'm really in trouble, no one's going to be there, which has been disproved over and over again, but I'm fond of it. <laughs> and the other two go together. One is that I'm not enough, and I'm a failure. These are the really uh, core things that are really down there. And they came to me when I was quite early, before I had words. So these are pre-conceptual. So they're not beliefs. These are the truth. These are truths. That this is how the world is for me if I want to go there. So one of the things I did when I was away, which I suggest to all of you, is to find someone you can uh, open yourself to and be the flawed, imperfect, uh, whatever your thing is. Be that with them, and I would recommend in particular someone who can then uh, hear those stories in the world of emptiness hear those stories in the world of our true nature. And so that's what I did. I found a friend who can, could, can, could, did, mirror, allow me the space to say out my delusion. So interesting, you know, I, I, I'm so not identified with it anymore, and yet there it was. <laughs> So it's like a little schizophrenic to say that and not be that, but anyway, be that as it may. To do that, and then when that, listen, okay, if you, if you do that in the context of not resisting or feeding it, it has no underpinning. And if you've been, if you've had this experience over and over again, you can do that very quickly. You say out the delusion, and without giving it any uh, ammunition, it cannot sustain itself. And it dissolves. And if you're with someone who can mirror that part of you that is your true nature, it dissolves into this vastness. So, the system that says, uh, I am not enough,
is never going to be enough. You cannot change that system. The system that says, I am not enough, is not someday going to say, I am enough. (laughs) And the reason is, is because we created that system, or whatever is your fallback mode. We created that system to get through whatever causes and conditions were there when we were very young. They helped us get through. And so we have to respect it. We have to embrace it. We have to allow it and be willing to stand up in its pain. And all of the positive affirmations that you can list the struggle to make it better, the resistance for feeling it at all, are traps. Because the very activity, that movement of mind that's trying to fix it, is that system. Our practice is not to engage that selfing mechanism. So before I give you the punchline, I want to put it in a context. I want to talk a little bit about form and emptiness. These are words that I'm sure you're very familiar with. Form is, uh, we can say, it's the, it's interesting that that came up first. What first came up is that form is the contracted, period. The contracted mind, the contracted body, the contracted sense of being in the world, the dualistic structure the sense of separation, the deep sense of separation, from which the idea of I'm not enough arises. If you don't feel separate, you can't have anything that you're not enough with. So that's the world of form, a kind of contracted belief system brought to us by thought, or as my a 19-year-old homeless young man I met in San Francisco. I told you about, you know, what he calls it is the itty-bitty shitty committee. That's the world of form. We need to respect that world because it's true. That world is true. There are people. We do suffer. This is our humanness. We are flawed, contracted, hateful, jealous, loving, you know, joyous, whatever it is. That world is not bad. I 
just is that way. We're made that way. We're going to destroy the world, but... May, I hope we don't. I hope we get it together soon enough. And the other world is the world of emptiness or the world of connectedness. The larger world that is inclusive of everyone and everything. The world where we are equal, everything equal. So the world of form, we have the richness of diversity. The richness of diversity. It's a terrific thing, diversity. And in the world of emptiness, that diversity is seen in its fundamental as the same. Both are true. And if you only stand in one, you're going to have a war. You're going to have a conversation with somebody and believe your point of view. And while you're talking to the person, you're going to be thinking, well, let's see, what can I say to undermine that person's point of view? You don't even listen. You're so sure that you're right. In the world of emptiness or the world of connection, you're actually curious what, the, what yourself, the other part of yourself, is saying. You really want to hear it thoroughly and then respond with as much clarity and stability as you can muster. The other example I was going to say is uh, about myself, too. Sometimes we, the world does not, our life does not turn out quite, to be quite what we thought it might be. (laughs) Everybody should be laughing. So my, the way my life has been is that mostly I'm alone in the world. I live alone. Well, I don't anymore. I live with my son <laughs> for a little bit more. Um, but mostly I'm alone in the world. And there are three ways to respond to that. Truth. First is, from the world of contraction, from the world of conceptuality, for the world of imagination. You can resist. I can resist that truth. I can say, I don't want it to be this way. I really wanted this to happen. I wanted that to happen. I wanted, you know, I just, I just, I just don't want this. I don't want this to be this way. I can eat. I can watch TV. I can. I don't have a TV. I can watch Netflix. <laughs> I can deny what's happening. All of these things, you've tried, and they are not satisfying. They are the world of suffering. If you resist the way your life has come to be, you will suffer, one hundred percent guaranteed. 
The second way of responding to that is by our practice. Which is to develop a mind that is stable enough and wide enough and a heart that is willing enough to feel the grief of that reality deeply as, as much as you as much as you wanted it to happen and it hasn't is the amount of grief that you'll have to feel at each step along the way over and over and over again if necessary but in that vastness if you don't push it away that emotion thought event if you don't push it away And if you don't feed it by thinking, allowing the Itty Bitty Shitty Committee to tell you to paint your life for you, it will dissolve. It will, that selfing mechanism of it isn't the way it should be, will dissolve. It has no reality. Unless you keep creating it and recreating it, the selfing process doesn't have a chance. But the third way, and that's what I wanted to really tell you about today, third way is really a much deeper truly non-dualistic even beyond form and emptiness Uh, much more frightening and ultimately a, a, uh, a deep deep, deep relief. You see, because if you do either of the first two, you are still there having a life. It's a good one or not such a good one. It's a free one or it's a bound one. But it's still you're having a life. But the truth of the matter is that we don't have a life. We are being lived. Life is living, Tia, temporarily, just for a short time. And then we'll live something else. A Larry, a Kristen, a Juan. Life is living itself as Tia for a moment. Life is waking up to itself. This is frightening. 
This asks us to give up everything. All your suffering, all your insights, everything. That's what I was, that's what was so interesting about this time away for me. It's not easy to uh, not get better, you know? I mean, if you've lived your whole life in a spiritual context, (laughs) you know, uh, wanting to deepen your understanding and so on and so forth, to admit that you're a complete failure and then to not do anything about it, Not easy. Can we both stand up in our own humanness from the point of view of emptiness and completely let go, not long for anything to be any different at all? takes some faith. It, it, it is helped by living in vow. That's why we take vow, precepts, bodhisattva vow. If it's a rudder, helps us with the context. And then, because we are following Zen path, it allows us, it allows us to completely commit ourselves to the present moment. Being fully in the present moment, there is nothing lacking. Nothing lacking. This is Dogen's message. Practice realization, same thing. We don't practice to get somewhere. We practice because it is what we are already. This is Dogen from the Genjo Koan, the poem I read you guys the other day on Wednesday. So you'll, it'll be familiar. To carry yourself forward and experience myriad things is delusion. That myriad things come forth and experience themselves is awakening. And he says, in another place he says, deluded people are deluded about awakening. Buddhas are awake about delusion. That's our path. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. 
to forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. When actualized by myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the bodies and minds of others, drop away. No trace of realization remains, and this no trace continues endlessly. It's all about an attitude. Do we face our life and everyone in it from the point of view of separation? Or do we relate to everything in our life from the point of view of connection, of emptiness? The relationship of these two things is very important. Where do you stand? It's a choice. A fish swims in the ocean, and no matter how far it swims, there is no end to the water. A bird flies in the sky, and no matter how far it flies, there is no end to the air. Know that water is life, and air is life. The bird is life, and the fish is life. We are both. We're completely not responsible at all, and we are totally 100% responsible on each moment for the life that is living us. Both are true all the time. So, fully accepting our humanness is the path. To accept our delusion is the path. And finally, We are a total failure. We have to get to a total failure. The mind cannot fix it. Not going to happen. So not grasping. Effort without desire is the way. Here's a poem. It's called Longing for Nothing. This was written by the person I went to this summer, by the way. Alone on Moon Mountain, there is great peace, longing for nothing. Mu and Kanon spring up laughing from this rock-strewn ground. There is a sea of green here, tender shoots, moss, the oaks, my heart. Whitewashed walls hold images of winter persimmons, maple leaves beginning to unfurl. Here I rake gravel, drink tea, walk barefoot across wooden floors. Memories of Japan linger here, mist in shrouded mountains, tall pines, this a daffodil.
Suddenly I long for the fragrance of incense, the sound of my teacher's black robes and silent feet. But Zen has jumped off the cushion of ceremony and formal bows, of bald heads and sitting motionless. Now I meet with ordinary Buddhas on Moon Mountain. We stop and listen to the wind. And here it is again, the great peace, longing for nothing. If you practice Zen, you will be asked to give up everything, all your identities, and stop naked, exposed. Are you willing to be both your humanness and this vast, mysterious wonder? Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.